The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. It is uh, good to be with 11 o'clock. At 9.30, uh, we had a, I had a surprise visitor, a friend of mine from high school. I haven't seen him in over a decade. Uh, he and I were in a punk band together in Detroit. And uh, I look back there, and he's sitting in the back. And so, like, I got up to preach, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he knows so much. Like, I just... <laughs> Lord, like, let's just, let's keep it good. So uh, is, I'm feeling much calmer at 11 o'clock, so, um, so thanks for that. Um, anyways, hey, today we are starting a new series. Uh, I'm so excited. It's on my, my favorite book in the Old Testament, uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're calling it The Good Life, and I'll get into to why we're doing that in a little bit here. But let me just kind of outline the next few moments for us here. Uh, we're going to, first of all, I'm going to intro the series. That's just going to be chunk one today. Uh, and then secondly, we're going to look at how nothing matters all right? Uh, and then three, we're going to look at how everything matters. All right? So we'll intro the series, nothing matters, everything matters. Um, and so let's get going. Let's intro the series. Um, so to do that, let me tell you a story. Um, in his book, A Confession, uh, the, the great novelist Leo Tolstoy uh, uh, writes uh, about a fable. And, uh, and it's this Eastern fable, an ancient Eastern fable, and it goes like this. There's once a, a traveler, uh, there's a man going across a, a big plain. And he's, he's walking across, doing his thing. And uh, Tolstoy says that an enraged beast came upon him. So some angry animal starts chasing after him. And so the guy takes off running, and he's running. And, and he sees an empty well, a dry well, and so, so he starts to climb down into it. Uh, but as he looks down at the bottom of the well, he sees that there's a dragon there with its mouth open waiting to swallow him. So well, this is not good. Uh, and so, so he, he grabs onto a twig. So he doesn't fall down. He grabs onto this twig that's sticking out of the side of the well. And so he's there dangling on this twig. And he's sitting there and he's realizing, okay, if I go up, I got to deal with this enraged beast. And if I go down, I'm going to be eaten alive by this dragon. So what do I do? And just when he's trying to figure out what he's going to do, he notices that there's two mice on this twig. And they're gnawing at the twig. And so time is running very, very short for him. And he knows, okay, it looks like if I don't climb up soon, I'm just falling and I'm dead. And so in the midst of facing certain death, in the midst of imminent doom, he notices something about the twig, that there's droplets of honey on it. And so knowing he's going to die in moments, he starts licking the honey. And Tolstoy stops telling the story. And just goes off. And he says, listen, we're all like this traveler. We're all like this traveler hanging on the twig. And death is imminent. Like, that's for sure. We know that's coming. But what happens is we see the honey. And we get so distracted by the honey that that's what we focus on. And to extend his metaphor, let me say this. We've got a lot of honey, friends. Right? We've got a lot of things that keep us distracted, that keep us busy from asking the big questions of life. From wrestling with things like, why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? Is there a purpose behind all of this? Is there a reason to live? We don't spend time thinking about that. We're too busy licking the honey. I mean, for example, uh, if I were to ask you, if I were to say, hey, uh, tomorrow... Would you, uh, at noon tomorrow, meet me at 183 in Crystal Falls? What you'd say to me is, why? Why? Why do you want me to meet you there? That's a good question, right? You're a busy person. you got things to do. you got places to go. You want a reason to meet with me. And yet so many of us 
don't even know what our reason for living is. What the book of Ecclesiastes does is it strips away everything that distracts us. It shakes all the honey off the twig. And it leaves us with the question saying, now what? Now what? And so this is why we're studying Ecclesiastes. We're going to shake the honey off the twig and we're going to wrestle with the question, now what? And now the reason we're calling this series The Good Life uh, is, is because Ecclesiastes is a form of literature in the Bible called wisdom literature. And the end goal of wisdom literature is to make us wise, right? To make us wise. And, and wisdom really, uh, to just kind of boil it down to a simple definition, is navigating life well. It's navigating life well. That's what it is to be wise, to navigate life well. Uh, and, and there's kind of three parts to wisdom, all right? So wisdom is about becoming the, the right kind of person who makes the right kind of decisions because they've asked the right kind of questions. All right, so wisdom is about becoming the right kind of person who makes the right kind of decisions because they've asked the right kind of questions. And I'm convinced that there is no piece of literature in the entire world that helps us ask the right kind of questions as well as Ecclesiastes does. And so let me encourage you all as we go through this series uh, to read Ecclesiastes. Uh, I'm not going to be able to hit on all of it. I will actually, though, by the way, those of you that are regulars here, I'll actually be here for all of it, which is kind of a miracle, uh, and so, so I, which I'm looking forward to, actually. Uh, but I encourage you to read it. I'm not going to be able to hit all of it. But if you do read it, if you choose to do that, uh, what you will find is that it's an incredibly frustrating book, super frustrating, because while it's chock full of wisdom, uh, it's proverbial wisdom. Meaning when you read it, it's not going to have like a nice story to teach you a life lesson. And it's, it's not going to have a nice linear argument for you to follow. It's Proverbs, mostly. It's mostly Proverbs. These little sort of pithy sayings that give you deep insight into life. And so you've got to wrestle with them. You've got to chew on them. That's how they're, they're like a hard candy, you know? You just got to just enjoy it, all right? So, um, so that's what we've got to do. They're these pithy little sayings. But the beautiful thing about Proverbs and proverbial wisdom, is that it sticks in your brain. It really does, and it helps you make decisions in life. Like, that's how they work. Uh, for example, our culture, of course, we have a ton of Proverbs, right? So let me, let's just see if we know them. We'll do a quick quiz, all right? So I'm going to say the first part, and then you guys finish it up, all right? So a penny saved is a penny. All that glitters is not. Better late than. Better safe than. Look before you. Some of you dropped off there. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, no pain, no gain. Right, Texas? There we go. All right, so, so you knew them all, right? And that's just a smattering. But we, all, we just know these. And it's sort of funny if you think about it, how much these things actually sit in our brain when we're making major decisions and we're at crossroads. These little proverbs really come in handy. They actually do make a difference in the major decisions we make in life. And so the same way our hope is that through studying the proverbial wisdom that's found in Ecclesiastes, we'll lead wise lives. We'll start to lead wise lives. And so let's get into the book. Let's, let's see what it says to us. And so the first thing we're going to see Ecclesiastes tell us, the first lesson it teaches us, is that nothing matters. Nothing matters. So look with me at uh, chapter 1, verses 2 to 7. It says this, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? 
A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All right, so here we see he starts the book off. The author starts the book off, and he says, Vanity of vanities is all vanity. Another way to translate that is, is meaningless. He says meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The, the Hebrew word for it there literally is the word chibel. You know, clear your throat when you say it, chibel. And, and it literally just means like breath or vapor. And so the author of this text, he calls himself the preacher, says, hey, life, everything you see, man, it's just a breath. It's just a mist. It's here one minute and it's gone the next as if it was never there. Like nothing matters. It just doesn't. Nothing matters. And then the author goes on. If you caught this in the verses, and he goes on to show how the different things we might try to find meaning in ultimately don't matter, right? He takes on work. He says, hey, so you think it matters because you can work, you can accomplish things, you can make stuff happen. And he says, well, fine, but you're going to die. And then what happens to all that? Nothing. What'd you accomplish? Doesn't matter. No one cares. No one's going to remember. So he says, this is, this is actually a point that, that Leo Tolstoy, uh, in his book, A Confession, he gets to as he's writing it through. Uh, let me just share with you what he says. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten, and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this, and how go on living? That is what is surprising. One can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that it is all a mere fraud, and a stupid fraud. That is precisely what it is. There is nothing either amusing or witty about it. It is simply cruel and stupid. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> a really chipper message. Um, no, man, I mean, Ecclesiastes and Tolstoy here, like, it's painful. It's painful, right? But, but do you see what it's getting at? It's tapping into something. Like, I don't know if you caught this, verses 5 and 6 of our text say, like, hey, the sun rises, the sun sets. The wind blows north, the wind blows south. Everything just kind of happens again and again. Things just kind of go all around in a big circle. Verses 9 to 10 of our text continue this. We'll have it up here. It says this, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. I mean, does life ever feel that way to you? Like, there's nothing new. It's just like the same thing again and again and again. Like, I don't think I'm the only one who looks at our sort of suburban North American lifestyle of go to school, get a job, start a family, go to school, get a job, start a family so you can tell your kids to go to school, get a job, start a family, buy a house in a cul-de-sac, drive an SUV, and sit on your couch and watch your flat screen TV until you die, right? Like, that's it. What's the point of it all? Why do we do it? Does any of it matter? What difference is it making? We're all just worm dirt. And see, I say that, and, and someone says, whoa, easy. 
All right? We all, we all kind of have our own way of defining what matters. You know, I live to be happy, or I live to be free, or I live to love, and whatever else your thing is. But what Ecclesiastes is getting us to do is say, you know what, man, how do you know if that's true? How do you know there's any truth in that? Maybe you're just making stuff up, telling yourself you have meaning in your life so that you can sleep at night. Maybe that's all it is. So uh, without a doubt, I think one of the most influential people in our lifetime uh, is the founder and uh, former CEO of, of Apple, the, the late Steve Jobs. And uh, in his biography by Walter Isaacson, uh, there's this moment that Isaacson records where, where Jobs is, is staring death in the face. And he goes, Jobs goes back to this big garden he had behind his house, and he's sitting back there, and he's kind of reflecting on death and reflecting on, on his life and all that he's accomplished. Uh, and, and Jobs says this, It's strange to think that you accumulate all this experience and maybe a little wisdom, and it just goes away. So I really want to believe that something survives. And then I'm going to quote the book here. We'll have it up on the screen. And Isaacson writes, He fell silent for a very long time. But on the other hand, perhaps it's like an on-off switch, he said. Click, and you're gone. Then he paused again and smiled slightly. Maybe that's why I never like to put on-off switches on Apple devices. I wonder if any of you can relate to Jobs here, that as he comes to the end of the life, he, he starts to ask himself, like, what about me is going to continue on? It's weird that it just turns off. And I wonder if there's been moments in your life where maybe you've worked really hard to accomplish something, you've worked to really get something done, and you do it, you made it to the mountaintop, and it's great for a bit. And then you say, well, now what? What am I supposed to do now? Or maybe for you it was a, a relationship that you just really invested in and you poured yourself into, and then for whatever reason it just sort of fizzled out. And you're kind of left wondering, well, what, what was that for? Why did I bother giving my heart away? Or maybe for some of you it's not just a moment in time, but it's just kind of the day in, day out monotony of life that just sort of grinds it out of you. And you start to ask the question, is, is anything I do really worth anything? Does it really matter? Like in the grand scheme of things, does what I do day in and day out actually matter? And see, the author of Ecclesiastes runs into the same situation. Look with me at verses 12 to 13. He writes, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And so we see the, the writer of this text says, hey, listen, I've, I've been king. I've been king. He says, I've got power. I've got riches. I've got everything anything could want, anyone could want. He says, and I've applied my heart to search out wisdom, to figure out what's going on in this world, how to navigate life well. And he says, and the bottom line is what I've come to discover is that life is in an unhappy business. It's an unhappy business. He says, I've got power. I've got riches. I've got the smarts. And he says, it isn't enough. It isn't enough. And then he takes it a step further. Look with me at verse 14. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So he says, everything that's done under the sun is vanity. It's meaningless. It's vapor. It's all vapor. It doesn't matter. And he's right. 
He's right. Uh, so I've told some of you this story before, but, but it bears repeating. Uh, so a few years ago, I was uh, mentoring a student, a young man uh, who was uh, just getting out of juvenile detention. And uh, he's 15, and he'd been arrested already six times by then, mostly on, on drug-related charges. And uh, so he and I start this mentoring relationship. And I remember the first time he and I hung out, we're, we're driving around in my car. And uh, he knew I was a pastor. And so he just goes, hey, Gabe, you know, I know you're really into that God stuff. Uh, he said, but, but I just don't, I don't really believe it, any of that at all. And I said, okay. And I said, so why is that? You know, where, where's that coming from? And, and he just said, well, you know, because evolution explains everything. And I said, oh, it explains everything. He said, yeah. I said, so does it explain, you know, where we came from? And he goes, well, no, it doesn't explain that. And I said, well, isn't that kind of like big thing to be able to explain? And he said, well, maybe. And we're talking, and I told him, I said, listen, man, the, the way I see it, it just kind of works like this. Like either there's a God, and, and we all exist for, for some reason, and our lives actually matter. And I said, or you're right, and, and maybe there isn't one, and ultimately then nothing really matters. And then he responded to me with, with brutal honesty and integrity. And he said, exactly. And that's what makes this world so depressing. And I got to tell you, I loved his answer because it was honest. Listen, if there's no transcendent being, if there's no greater design behind our existence, man, we're all worm dirt. And so with the writer of Ecclesiastes, let's at least have the intellectual integrity to say it's meaningless. There's no meaning under the sun. Now I say that, and some of you, maybe we have some friends here today who are a little bit skeptical, and you say, okay, all right, some 15-year-old kid says that, not buying it. You say that up there, pastor, everything's meaningless. You don't seem that smart. Great observation. Uh, I'm not buying it. Uh, you know, Ecclesiastes says it. I don't really read the Bible, so give me someone worth listening to. All right. Stephen Jay Gould late professor of evolutionary biology at a, uh, a little school called Harvard University, um, was asked to write about the meaning of life uh, in a Time Magazine article several years ago. And this is what he wrote. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. And we're here because comets struck the earth and wiped out dinosaurs and giving mammals a chance they would not otherwise have available. Therefore, thank your lucky stars in a literal sense, because the earth never froze entirely, we are here. Because a small and tenuous species arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago managed to survive by hook and especially by crook. We may yearn for higher answers, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, I'm not sure it's superficial, uh, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. We cannot read the meaning of life in the facts of nature. We must construct the meaning of life ourselves in our own wisdom and ethical sense. And so Gould says here, hey, listen, there is no inherent meaning. There is no inherent purpose. Yay, let's just make it up ourselves. Let's just make it up as we go along. And this logic is not just Gould, right? But it's Camus, and it's Bertrand Russell, and it's Nietzsche, and it's Sartre, and it's Voltaire, and a whole bunch of other names that I can't pronounce, okay? But you look throughout the history of thought, the greatest skeptical thinkers all land in this same place. If this is it, 
If all we have is what's under the sun, nothing really matters. We're just worm dirt. We're all eventually going to be forgotten. Now I say all this, and someone says, okay, pastor, I'm on to you, buddy. Right? Get us all depressed, weigh us all down, and say, hey, if, if there's no God, then nothing matters. And then at the end you say, but surprise, God's real, and so everything matters. You caught me. Okay? You caught me. That's why, verse 14, the author of Ecclesiastes says this, Everything that is done under the sun. Whenever you see that phrase, under the sun, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, you understand that what he's saying there is anything that happens detached from any eternal meaning, detached from any divine purpose, detached from any living God. He says it doesn't matter. But understand what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to do. Recognize the severity of what he's trying to do. He wants to just strip everything away. And he wants us to beg the question, is there something above the sun that might actually give meaning and purpose to our life? Because he knows, and we all know, it's so easy for us to get focused and distracted by all that's under the sun, by the droplets of honey. We find ourselves in the monotonous day in, day out of life. We find ourselves lost and without purpose. When that happens, it's very easy to become jaded and to become skeptical. And so when this happens, the author of Ecclesiastes says you got to look above the sun and ask the question, is it possible that truth and meaning and purpose are found outside of our own making? Is it possible that that truth makes all the difference? And someone says, sure, but how can you know? How can you know that what you're claiming is above the sun is actually there? How can you know that you're not just making up some God to help you sleep at night? That you're just importing meaning into your own life? How do you know? It's a fair question. And uh, here's the Christian response briefly. It's not perfect, uh, but I think it's the best we've got. Uh, The beginning of the Gospel of John in the New Testament starts like this. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Greek word for word uh, is the word logos. And that was just this deep sort of philosophical term at that time in history that, that meant the Logos was sort of the, the life force that created everything, the, the life force that sustained everything. And what John says in John chapter 1 is that in the beginning was the Word, this creative divine life force, and it became man, became a human being. That he put on flesh and blood and entered into our world and claimed to bring truth and claimed to bring meaning and claimed to bring purpose. His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus' presence showed us that this life does have purpose because he created it. Because he sustains it. Because he invites you to be a part of his work here. See, if God had created this world and then just sort of let it run like a wound clock, then all the, all the, all the philosophers are right. It doesn't matter. We're just wormed up. But in Jesus, we have a God who intervenes. We have a God who stepped into our history. He knows the daily struggles of life and showed us what it means to be fully human. 
to live a life that matters. And that doesn't mean that us finding purpose in our lives is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be happy and good and you can live your best life now. In fact, what we see in the life of Jesus is that he, as he brought us a reality from above the sun, he was killed for it on the cross. But we also see that he rose to new life in real time, in real space, in this world, on this side of history. And when he did that, he validated his claims of being the Logos, and he ascended into heaven where he lives and reigns now until he comes back to bring hope and healing to our world. See, our meaning in this world comes from above the sun. It does. But it's not just like a generic deity floating in the sky. And the meaning we find in this world is not a religious tradition. It's not a set of dogma. See, our meaning in the world for the Christian Meaning is not a principle for us. Meaning is a person. The person of Jesus Christ. True meaning is not a principle. He's a person. A person of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Uh, so our second year uh, confirmation students, so we have a confirmation program here where, where uh, students, junior high students mostly go through and um, learn uh, the ins and outs of the Christian faith and, and kind of figure out what it really looks like to follow Jesus. And for their, their second year, we pair them up with mentors uh, that walk alongside them and, and hopefully show them what it looks like to, to follow Jesus. And, and for part of that process, we have a question and answer night. And that's where all the mentors and all the students and myself, we, we get together and the students ask their mentors questions. So it's not the other way around. Students ask the mentors questions saying, hey, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus? What's that like for you? And they, they ask him those questions. And one of our students asked the mentors this question. Uh, she said, when did your faith become real to you? When did your faith become real to you? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. And so the mentors went around and they shared their stories of when their faith became real to them. And every single one of our mentors shared of a time when they came to the end of themselves when it came to the end of themselves, when everything else was stripped away, and in that moment they found that the only thing left standing was the person of Jesus Christ. And friends, my hope for you is that when you come to the end of yourself, when the honey is all shaken off of the twig, my hope is that you'd see the person of Jesus Christ standing there grabbing hold of you. Because in him, everything matters. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for this time. You brought us together here to study your word. God, I pray that in you we would see that, that we have meaning, that we have purpose, that, that we're part of something that you're doing. And for my friends who are figuring out specifically what that looks like in their life, I pray you'd grant clarity. But in the meantime, Lord, teach us to follow after you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming for us. We'll pray this all in your name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.